0: are back with another church history special i'm back in jean Marc's very safe library though i remember last time i made a joke about if an earthquake happens i wouldn't get out but it looks well it looks tidier than last time i hope that's not a
1: what a way to go yeah
0: um well here we are um we had i think we had 60 listeners the last one so that's that's pretty good going good i would say um Matt and I get 60, so you're keeping pace. So
1: so that's 30 for you, and 30 for Matt, and 60 for me. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, so we're we're looking at a man from church history today. Um we're looking at Charles Spurgeon. So Jean Mark, could you give us maybe a sentence or two just to set the scene? Cause I've said there's that name, Charles Spurgeon, and some people will be like, oh Spurgy. But others will be like, "Who on earth is Charles Spurgeon?" So, could you set the scene for us a wee bit
1: uh, before I decide like to make a correction from the last uh, pro- podcast? I had a quote wrong, okay. So I to get it right. It was it was about uh, Charles. It wasn't about Charles It was about Richard Sibbs. Okay, and the quote should have been, "Heaven was in him before he was in heaven."
0: I see. I knew that. I just didn't want to embarrass you. Oh, thank you. You're
1: so kind. Thank you. You're so kind. Right, like Spurgeon. Yeah. Spurgeon's a, a great person. There, there was there's a saying, a little limerick, which you might appreciate, which goes, there once was a preacher called Spurgey who didn't care much for liturgy, mm-hmm. but his sermons are fine and I've preached them as mine and so have most
0: of the clergy.
2: <laughs> that is a good lyric. <laughs>
0: That does seem very nicely. I think. <laughs> um, do you want to say anything more about just the background of him or uh, look, where he's from? <laughs> okay, <laughs> very
1: briefly. Uh, Charles Spurgeon um, is a is a great Baptist Christian. I'd say yeah. preacher from the the nineteenth century. He was born right in the middle of the the century, practically. And he his dates are 19th of June, 1834,
2: mm-hmm.
1: until the 31st of January, 1892. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was from Essex, and he spent most of his preaching life in London, where he had a huge ministry, mm-hmm. and still affects people
0: today. Yeah, you sure have alluded to it there um, in the little limerick about how people preach his sermons as their, their own, because he was known, wasn't he, as the mm-hmm. Prince of Preachers. So why, why are we going to learn about him? You sort of, you've teed us up there quite nicely. You've warmed us up, but what, what did he do? Like, what can we learn from S- Charles Spurgeon?
1: I think first of all, we can see that God saves people and uses them. Hmm. And it doesn't matter who you are. He can use you. He was a, a little boy when he was saved. He was about 15 when he was saved. Uh, he became pastor then when he was 17. Oh my goodness. Of a, of a church of about uh, maybe 35, 40 people in Waterbeach. Mm-hmm. That had revival. And that went up to about 200 in the congregation in about a year. And then he was called to London and he was called to one of the big churches that was sort of in decline. So they had a congregation of about 200, even though they were in decline. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: And so he uh, preached in New Park Street and revival came there. Yeah. And within about six years, they had to vacate the building, have re rebuild the whole whole place to make the Metropolitan Tabernacle and he preached outside and in Surrey Gardens and, and the open airs and places like that. He was a, a great preacher. Um, he's probably well no he is the person who has produced the biggest set of books ever. His sermons, they say they're 63 volumes, but I've got another 60 a 64th volume of his sermons alone. And that's the largest set of books by one person ever in the world.
0: And like, I suppose even just to set that in context, like that's not a time when, you know, everyone had a printer in their house. Like that is a serious amount of mm. sermons that have printed from a man. Yeah. He used to preach sometimes 10 times a week. Oh my goodness. So, okay. He obviously preached a lot, but what were sort of the main sort of topics that he preached on, would you say? Um, Like, was he reform? Give us an idea.
1: Charles Spurgeon would probably say that he would glory in the term Calvinist. Okay. But Calvinist is really a title given to the great old doctrines Mm. of the Bible. Salvation by grace and grace alone Mm. through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So he'd preach Christ from everywhere in the scriptures. Uh, sometimes he'd preach it and you'd think, oh, I'm not sure if you could preach it from there. <laughs> but he'd say to you then, I'd rather preach him where he's not than miss him where he is. Yeah, that's brilliant. He's a you know great preacher of Christ.
0: Yeah. Um so I think it was one or two Sundays ago I sort of talked about um you know moments, like significant moments in our lives. Um is there a significant moment in Charles Spurgeon life that you could sort of draw to our attention?
1: Probably about four or five. Yeah. Probably more, but I'd, I'd go down to four or five. The first one would obviously be his conversion. Yeah. Um, he'd been under conviction of sin for a long time. Um, he was one of 17 children, yeah. the eldest. 17? So seventeen, one se- seven, one seven. seven. <laughs> uh, not all of them got through to adulthood. Yeah. Um, but he was one of 17, and when he was a, a tut, he went to live with his grandfather, who was a pastor. His mm. father was a pastor as well. And in his father, his grandfather's house, he came across Pilgrim's Progress with pictures, yeah. which he loved. So he read that and read that again. And then he started reading the Puritans when he was about six or seven. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then when he went to his dad's, he read more. So he was under conviction mm. by the time he was 15 um, and then one uh, Sunday, when he couldn't get to his own church, it was blowing a storm, snowstorm in January, he got to a little Methodist chapel and yeah. he went in. The preacher couldn't make it either. So one of the deacons, he thinks, from the congregation got up hmm. and preached a sermon from Isaiah 45, uh, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, yeah. for I am God and there is no other. And the man addressed him in the congregation. And and he was converted. So that was his his first uh, big moment. And it, it really changed his life, literally.
0: I mean, that's even just encouraging generally, you know, that not speaking ill of deacons, but, you know, it wasn't the normal preacher mm. who comes in, who preaches God's word and changes this man's life forever. And I suppose it's that sort of encouragement that, like, god can raise up anyone Mm. and he choose yeah he he saves people it doesn't matter in some ways who the preacher is or how gifted they are even
1: no i I think i think uh, probably the three three of the greatest men preachers and theologians uh, of the last maybe 400 years were all converted by people that you never knew who they were john Mm. owen went to hear a great preacher carol he wasn't there Mm. He, he heard somebody he wasn't expecting, he wasn't famous. He was converted. Spurgeon never knew who the man was. Yeah. People came forward and he said, no, you're not the one that was preaching. <laughs> so they kept trying to pretend that he was their convert. He wasn't. And then there was Dr. Lord Jones as well yeah. with his with his conversion and then his dedication to the ministry. You know, he, he went out in the street and he, he heard some Salvation Army people preaching. And he said, those are my kind of people. Yeah. God, God does use yeah. anybody, which is wonderful
0: um any other sort of significant moments you feel we should highlight
1: i think his call to the ministry yeah uh, that was quite unusual because um he had all this knowledge inside him yeah. and he wanted to go out he'd give out tracts he'd teach in the sunday school He'd tell little stories to the children they'd say tell us a story charlie tell us a story so he would and then he'd get more and more people attending the Sunday School so there were more people attending the Sunday School than attended the church and so, so his pastor decided that he was going to preach yeah. but he didn't tell him so he sent him off with a friend to go to this little house to preach on a Sunday afternoon so they were both walking there Charlie thinking that the guy next to him was going to preach and the guy next to him thinking that Charles was going to preach so Charlie after about three miles of walking said to him that he was going to pray for him and praying for him for the sermon he said, "I've never preached my life. You're going to have to do it." So, so for the the remaining two or three miles, Spurgeon composed a sermon in his mind oh my and then preached from from Peter, saying, "To you who believe, he is precious." And that was his first sermon. Then,
0: unbelievable.
1: So that was the, the second. one. The third one would have to be marriage. Okay. He was married um, to a, a, a lovely lady, Susanna, Susie used to call her a wifey, mm. um, and they had two children, uh, Charles, you have, to call, you have to call your first son after, yeah, in those days, not now, but in those days, Charles, and the other one, because he was a twin, he was called Thomas. So they called him Thomas after the twin in the yeah. scriptures. So he had two boys with him and, and they had a lovely, lovely life. She was a great help meet and encourager and support to him. And, and she wrote Christian books as well and encouraged his books to be sold. She she came across, uh, or he showed her his great book on preaching hmm. lectures to my students. And she decided that every preacher in or every pastor in Britain should have a copy. Yeah. So she set up a book fund. And then thousands of books then over the years were distributed to, to various pastors. Wow. So she was wonderful. Um, also, you also had, for him, unfortunately, you, you had opposition. Mm. And that came at various times of his life to, to strengthen him and, and to make him realise what was important. The first was when he started preaching, because he was so young. Yeah. People made fun of him because of his youth. Of and because he was an eccentric or they thought he was odd because he didn't look posh and, mm. and, and as chiseled out as people in London were. Mm. So he faced that. Then when he preached outside his church in Surrey Gardens, there was, was a huge accident uh, where people were killed. Um, there were about 10,000, 15,000 people clamoring in to hear him preach. Mm. God had been blessing him. And then people started shouting, fire, fire.
0: Oh, yes, I've heard this and, story.
1: And uh, some of the, the building collapsed when the people were trying to rush out. About mm. Eight people were killed. Um, he suffered Great Depression for a few weeks. And mm. whenever there were crowds, which for him was nearly every Sunday, yeah. he'd, he'd feel a little bit Stressed. anxious yeah. because of that. And then the final one then was the downgrade controversy. Yeah. It was a huge thing. He, he loved Scripture and he took scripture as it was written
2: mm.
1: in, it, in its context and it's in the style that was there. And so he loved all the doctrines that came out of scripture
2: mm.
1: and he didn't want anything to attack that and he saw that in the, the Baptist Union he was a member of, there were certain men that weren't preaching the divinity of Christ, that mm. weren't preaching justification by faith, that weren't preaching salvation by grace through faith and not by works. And he drew attention to this and he mm. said that, you know, this should be dealt with because we're a union and we should be preaching the gospel. And that caused all sorts of problems. Mm. And so in the end, he left the Baptist union, um, but his brother stayed in it. Oh. So it was a it was a strange, strange thing
0: for him. Yeah. Well, even just hearing that, like, to think about the courage that it must take to stand up to that sort of, yeah, the courage to stand up to one's friends, is almost a greater courage than standing up to mm. to enemies isn't it mm. um so obviously you know he had steel in his spine but what made you know is is preaching so effective because it, you know prince of preachers is quite a title for someone so what made him mm. so how did god unusually use this man
1: mm. Pro- probably a,
0: a lot of practical
1: things and some spiritual things. The practical things would be first of all that he had a good clear voice. He could be heard. Uh, There was no microphone in those days. Um, When when he preached he'd have a sounding board above his head Mm. so he had an advantage uh, over Whitfield in that the sounding board was inside the building whereas Mm. Whitfield would preach outside with a sounding board. Mm.
2: Um,
1: But he'd preach loudly and clearly. And, and he was practical, so when he was going to preach in Surrey Gardens, he practiced to see what the acoustics were like. Hmm. and so he, he kept bellow, he bellowed out, "Behold the Lamb of God, hmm. Behold the Lamb of God." And one of the workmen that was finishing off some of the, some of the seating there heard this
2: hmm.
1: and felt a bit convicted and went home and within a week he was converted. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so he, he had a clear he had a clear voice, but then he had a clear language as well. When he spoke, mm. he spoke in words that people could understand. Yeah. He spoke as if he was speaking to people, not reading or mm. dictating or sermonizing. Mm. And he he'd speak with with stories, mm. so that everyone could understand it. In, in In one of his books of sermons, he he apologizes to the people, saying that he believes that his language was too flowery and and, and too. Uh, Intricate and he was going to crucify his style so that more would be able to understand his message So from about the 1873-74 onward his style got simpler. Yeah, but he was he was lovely like that His content again was so easy to follow Hmm. he'd Hmm. Recite a text He'd introduce it and then he'd tell you where he was going. Hmm. These are the three points. Yeah, and then you would go through the three points, clearly and simply, and bring the congregation with it.
0: <clears throat> yeah, well, those are even just less. I, I suppose if someone's asking, what can we learn from church history? Like, that is that informs how preaching should be done, isn't it? You know, clear clear and simple. Um, speaking to someone who's probably quite difficult to understand, the need to, be, yeah. uh, to slow down, to use vocabulary that is accessible to everyone. I'm making your content illustrated and you know hmm. energy essentially. Um, it, whenever he he preached, you know, did he specialize in the New Testament or Old Testament, or did he do everything?
1: He, despite the fact that he read and he loved the Puritans, he wasn't a Puritan in his preaching in the sense that they go through books systematically. Yeah, he never did. Okay. Uh, his sermons would be all over the place. But you find today that if people preach around and stuff, they preach maybe four times as much in the New Testament, the Old Testament. Mm. With him, it's about equal. It's equal and he preached preach the most unusual sermons from little texts Mm. hidden away here and there. But his his grand theme would be probably the, 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 the four R's and this is in my notes i'm probably gonna get it wrong but the four hours which first of all the ruin of man
2: Mm.
1: he preached that then he he preached then the the redemption that is found only in jesus christ Mm. then he preached regeneration that god changes the soul of man and then he preached repentance so he preached the four hours continually and his huge emphasis was on the person of christ Um, and he I think the other thing that he did was he would persuade people if he could have got out to the pulpit and sat next to a person in the, in the pew and tried to persuade them and use as, uh, as much uh, winsome and careful and clear and, and, and attractive language to them then he would do that. But he did that from the pulpit. So a lot of his sermons are, are pleading and mm. and explanations and arguments, uh, which which is very biblical if you look at the beginning of Isaiah yeah. and when the Lord speaks to, to the people about telling them to come to him. So he preached that. Um, but above all, he'd say that the reason that his preaching was so successful was that the people would pray for him. Mm. He, took some people out and they said, Oh, you know, why are you so great a preacher? And he took him to the top of the pulpit and he pointed out to the congregation there. They weren't there. It was empty church. And he said, My people, they pray for me.
2: Yeah.
1: And he had a praying people, but he wouldn't say this, but he was a very godly man. Yeah. He was so close to the Lord. And you can see that when the love of God just shines out Hmm. from him. So you you had all those there. And of course, the, the Lord had chosen him to be a special instrument at that time to to preach and and his sermons he'd publish his sermons and they'd go out across the world mm-hmm. uh, one one sermon was found in the uh, in the, the sort of belongings of david livingston <laughs> uh, the missionary there yeah. you know when they found his body and stuff there, there were some sermons by spurgeon there and he preached and his sermons were were published and people were converted every
0: day somebody hmm. was probably converted by a sermon
1: wow. of Spurgeon.
0: So um, what would you say was his main gift to Christian theology? You know was there a particular area he taught hmm. that is a great resource or great value to the hmm. church today?
1: Probably say firstly that he pro- the big teaching thing that we'd have is that there's nothing in Christian theology that can't be taught to Mm. a congregation that doesn't glorify God and that preachers and students should never be afraid of anything that's in the Bible because there are certain doctrines that we shy away from that we think are too hard or difficult Mm. or strange and yet he preached through all of them when he started off in New Park Street there was a group of people in the church that were hyper-Calvinists Which were people that believed that because God did and and saved people, that people didn't need to do anything at all. Yeah. You just sat back and let God do everything. And and he he didn't believe in that because he saw all the apostles telling people to repent, yeah. and Jesus going out and saying, <laughs> Believe in me. And so he preached sermons to address that. But they'd have special services once a year mm. and they'd go through the five points. They'd have mm. five days in the week. And they'd have a different person preaching on one of the the five of the tulips there. So he'd he'd do that. Secondly, you can see what it's like to love Christ. Mm. You can see that in in him. So he he loved the scriptures and the theology. But he loved it because for him, they were love letters Mm. from his Savior to him. So he loved Christ. So it, it should teach us and he should teach us how we should love Christ more. Hmm. And then finally, you've got to make theology accessible.
0: Yeah, you'd mentioned that earlier, hadn't you, about John Bunyan and how they're just full of illustrations. Mm. He he wanted people to understand the text better, which, yeah. I think we've all been in those situations when someone who's teaching the word uses an illustration and it sort of all just clunks into place mm. in our minds. Um. So in light of that, you know, often we picture in our head maybe great preacher, theologian, possibly a bit miserable or a bit dry, or not that interesting. Mm. What do we know about Spurgeon as a person in his personal life?
1: Well, Spurgeon wasn't very big wasn't a very big chap. He was about five foot four. Okay. And later in life he grew a beard.
0: Yeah like all godly people
1: like like some of the (laughs) the best godly people he grew a beard are you listening Matt? so um he was a he was a lovely godly and yet he was very childlike he Mm. was innocent yeah you you know in in the scriptures where jesus turns and he says truly in israelite in whom there is no guile Mm. that was spurgeon Mm. he had such a sense of humor a twinkle in his Mm. eye and a quip in his in his mouth um if, if people said things to him like there was one woman and she wouldn't admit that she had, she was ginger. For some reason there was a an issue in the in, in there. you know, she she kept saying that she was she was golden, her hair was golden. And he looked at her and he said, Yes, twenty four carat golden. <laughs> <laughs> so, very good. So he, <laughs> very crafty. But he, he he kept you know he he kept it under under wraps because he did he he gave an illustration in one sermon about a man that preached and preached really well and he was being taken by one of the congregation to the house to to have food and after the sermon he just let himself go and he was joking and trivializing things like that mm-hmm. and the man rebuked him just before he got to the house saying look you know, you you preached a sermon and it was wonderful and it convicted me and then you preached it right out of my head by your language and your behavior. Mm. So he was aware that excessive jocularity or jocularity in the wrong place is is not wise. Mm. But he had a a wonderful sense of humor and in the pastor's college and in his sermons, the lectures with students, there are some lovely little twinkly bits there Mm. that are, are quite... He he was, was, they said, a joy to know and full of humour.
0: I think that's helpful, just as even as we go on to the next question, that sometimes we might think reading history or reading biography won't be that interesting or that fun. But actually, sometimes whenever we read about someone's life, you know, it should bring there should be interesting bits in it, bits that make us smile or laugh or even jokes we can steal for our own for our own lives um but so okay we've got a bit of his personal life in terms of his joy and his humor but what about his struggles did he have any vices or you mentioned earlier depression
1: yes yeah there, there are three three areas that he had he had struggles with in in his ministry at some time or other the church his family and his personal life, which would have been depression. Yeah. Um, he, he suffered from depression. Some people said he was bipolar. Okay. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that would be quite quite accurate, mm. um, but he, he would get really depressed because the devil would want, to, want him to get depressed because yeah. he, he'd be preaching in front of 20,000 people mm. um, and then he'd be shattered afterwards. Mm. The first time he did it, uh, he he had to preach a a huge sermon uh, uh, on a special occasion. And he preached in front of 25,000 people without any microphones, I think, in those days. And he just spent the next day. He was just asleep for the whole day because it took so much out of him. Another time he went and he he preached a a church and he got so wrapped up, he went with his wife. Well, they weren't married at that time. He took Susie with him and he, he got to the pulpit, totally forgot about her preached his heart out was blessed and blessed their people and then he went home totally forgetting (laughs) totally forgetting so i think he was a a person that was driven yeah but he'd suffered depression and he, Mm. he told people that he understood what is what it was in in the psalms particularly you know to to understand about you know why is my soul downcast why are you discouraged within me he understood that and and some people told him he shouldn't be saying that from the pulpit hmm. because he was a preacher and he said no i'm am a christian hmm. and I, I go through the valleys as well as go to the mountain tops and so he's got it there's there's a little book about uh, uh, helping with people with depression, called Spurgeon Sorrows. That's quite a nice little book. Yeah, It's a lovely little book. His family as well, he had difficulty with, not because they were wayward or anything like that. Um, But his wife, after she'd had the boys, the twins, she had problems, uh, which which meant that for about 12 years, she was practically confined to bed. So she was stuck at home. And so he had to see to the house, look after the boys, uh, keep an eye on everything. Look after this huge church. Um, an orphanage was set up with him. The book fund, his wife set up to support him,
2: hmm.
1: and they were close. And, but after twelve years, she was all right. Yeah. She came out. So he had difficulties. He went through a difficult patch. Then we hmm. want somebody by your side.
2: Yeah.
1: And he, he was—he felt like he was pastoring and, and comforting and caring for. Her. But he—he ne- he never complained. Hmm because he loved her yeah. and, and God had given her to him. And then the final one was something we'd alluded to earlier, What was the downgrade, yeah. where he felt he had to make a stand. Um, I, I suppose, you know, people would say, well, he's picky saying, well, you know, does it matter whether you believe in in a literal six day creation or not? Yeah. Well, he would, he, if he'd known about space flight he probably had given an illustration like this he'd have said well if you're sending a rocket to the moon and you're an inch off on the launch pad you're going to miss the moon by miles once it gets up there (laughs) and so you know if you if you tamper with any of the scriptures you're going to miss so much yeah and so he he fought for that and a lot of people thought he was wrong. So when you read different biographies, it depends where they are theologically mm. as to whether they think that he was making a mountain out of a Molehill, or whether he was a, a true mm. Mr Brave Heart. Mr I th- Valiant for truth.
0: I think even here and all that, to think this Prince of Reachers struggled with depression, struggled with like hat family well, just struggles in mm. his personal life mm. and in his job essentially it does humanize it because sometimes you think oh i, I can't relate to these mm. wonderful people from history and yet he was a man like us Like so he wasn't yeah i suppose that's an encouragement isn't it and I, especially i gave that book spirit and sorrows to a friend who had depression and they found it really helpful because well this is incredibly godly insightful man he's talking about depression In a way that's really accessible Mm. and uses scripture so yeah so where might someone start if they wanted to learn more about charles spurgeon because you've given us i always sort of think of this as like a starter like you're giving us a very nice sort of warm-up for a meal so if someone wants to dig in to the main course of charles spurgeon could you give us some books or some ideas
1: well because we're living in the 21st century i'm a very trendy guy <laughs> they're uh, they're uh, online on YouTube.
2: Yeah,
1: YouTube is probably <laughs> ten years out of date. <laughs> on YouTube, there's there uh, if you type in the People's Preacher through the eyes of Spurgeon or Charles Spurgeon. Yeah, there are lots of biographies of him. Uh, the People's Preacher is a a lovely uh, account of Spurgeon's life. It's mm. quite dated. Who's done about 1985, 86. But it's a lovely account, general mm. account of his life. Through the Eyes of Spurgeon is, is a more modern one, yeah. which is really quite nice. Uh, and then you've got John Piper talking about Spurgeon. Yeah. But it's sort of John Piper talking about John Piper as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a bit towards uh, preachers aimed there. But that, that's quite sweet as well. But there are loads there. Um, sermons, you can listen to Spurgeon sermons. Can you? Not by Spurgeon's preaching them. Oh. But you've got to get the right person. Because okay. sometimes the people you get are oh, quite scary. Okay. <laughs> but there's, there's a chap called Charles Kelsch. Okay. And they call the Prince of Preachers on Sermon Audio. And although he's American, he reads the sermons really well. <laughs> they, they sound like they're being preached. Yeah, and and they flow nicely. So once you get used to the accent, which takes about two three minutes, mm. wonderful, wonderful. Oh, uh,
0: I'll, I'll put I'll put some of those links in the description of this. Um, mm. I've seen Michael Reeves at Union has written a book Spurgeon on the Christian life. Mm. Um, and one of my my old housemate had that. And he said it was brilliant, and it's you know that was written in 2018.
1: Yeah, Michael Reeves. If you because he 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 introduced that, or he spoke about it in one of the conferences, hmm. and he he said that he's from the same sort of area as Spurgeon. So if you listen to his voice, that's very similar, like Spurgeon.
0: I see. Well, that's that's a good little. I can picture now what Spurgeon sounds like because I've heard Mike Michael Reeves before.
1: <laughs> but he'd have a beard, and he'd be five or four.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, um, books, books, books. Then. Yeah,
1: books. Then you know the The greatest one by Spurgeon is is probably his commentary on Matthew, okay. which was finished by his wife. That, yeah. That's lovely. It's really he wrote it when he was sort of housebound and and retired from the ministry through illness. Mm. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely book. His Treasury of David, mm. superb. Yeah, I, I bought it because I like the binding. <laughs> it is it's behind you. It's that... behind you there. Oh it's, yeah, it's, it's red.
0: It my it's nice binding.
1: It's above your head.
0: <laughs> the oh, look there's at there. the wrong place! Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. so nice. The binding's wonderful. Yeah,
1: the stuff inside is 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 quite good. As well. <laughs> so there's those. Um, there there's uh, the books that I'd recommend by Spurgeon. Yeah, probably All of Grace. All
0: it's of a Grace. little
1: evangelistic book which is really great. Around the wicket Gate as well.
0: Is that great. a cricketing evangelistic track?
1: Uh, no, no, <laughs> but but it's it's quite it's quite good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so <Sorry>, i've completely <laughs> knocked you off course there yeah, that's,
1: that's a really good joke <laughs> I have to write that down Right, a joke not to say right <laughs> <laughs> morning and evening then he, he's he got those as well and then there are various biographies yeah of of him that are there. there's lots of little ones and and some big ones as well so it depends how you want to dive in yeah. whether you want to sort of dip your toe in or if you want to Dive in full,
0: yeah, full flow. Yeah. yeah. um So, in light of all this stuff that we've talked about about Charles Spurgeon, how does he help us cherish and love Jesus more?
1: Mm, well, the lessons probably we, we'd get would be that Christ is everything. Mm. He was Christ. Christ centered. He, he said of um, Bunyan that if you pricked him anyway, the Bible would come out because his blood was bibline yeah i'd say with spurgeon that he was christline yeah so wherever you pricked him he'd he'd preach christ mm. and he'd speak about christ uh, that was his his great theme you know s- the the sermons that he preached on on song of songs particularly mm. if you just look through those on christ they're just so mm. so wonderful so okay. it that we're to be christ-centered i think that's the first First thing that we need to be um, from Spurgeon. Secondly, they were to use our minds. He never went to theological college, but then he never needed to. Mm -hmm. He'd read all these Puritans. He understood Greek. He understood Hebrew. Um, He could think through the scriptures and he knew the Bible inside out Mm -hmm. and he could think through things. So he'd have answers and questions. Dr. Lloyd-Jones is, is brilliant like that, mm. in that you know his sermons, he's got questions and answers. Spurgeon's very similar. There's a slightly different style, obviously, yeah. but it's similar. They both want you to use your mind. Mm. He's, he's very, very good. Uh, he, he's also positive. Through all the darkness and all the difficulties, his great encouragement was the fact that he was saved.
2: Mm.
1: And he used to finish his letters with SS, saved sinner
2: that's that was
1: his his most important truth for himself um he he was going through depression and he he went away to preach he went away he wasn't preaching he he couldn't preach for three four weeks so he went away and he was in a little village and he went to a church and a chap got up to preach and he preached one of Spurgeon's sermons and oh my goodness. Spurgeon went up to him afterwards, and the man apologized profusely. And he said, "No, no, that was exactly what I wanted, exactly what I needed." <laughs> Me. And it's a funny thing; is exactly the same thing happened to Doctor lloyd Jones. That's so funny. Exactly. So, so being positive. Yeah. Uh, with the thing there, um, using his time as well, hmm. he used his time wisely. Every minute he was doing something for the glory of God, hmm. whether he was relaxing. Uh, sleeping, working, uh, he wouldn't pray for huge lengths of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He'd pray as he went along because mm-hmm. he, he was he said his life was a prayer, so he he did everything there. Mm-hmm. and probably uh, I got a lovely quote from him to end with, yeah, give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. he who, he who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own (laughs) you need to read
0: that's a good challenge to end on um well we'll be back we'll be back with another figure from church history we need to do a bit of deciding on that one but thank you very much for well giving us a taster a starter and a mouche bouche of soup yeah (laughs) of charles version thank you
1: thank you terry